Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, we're back, but this time it's Catherine and me. Uh, we haven't done this for a while, Catherine. No, Matt. <laughs> With good reason. <laughs> It's like yes. the bad old days, guys. You're in for a treat. It sure is. We we have an agenda, but it's not like normal. Um, I've managed to create two opportunities for two podcasts in a day today. Um, <laughs> and we're up really early, and that, which is a bit harsh on Catherine, given she was presenting coverage for Amazon Prime Video of Paris uh, until quite late last night. Um, but it the beauty of it all is is there's just so much to talk about that's why we're doing two podcasts today because matt is now in glasgow at the billy jean king cup finals where it's going to be interview day and preview material that he's going to be getting so we're going to come back on later he and i to 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 preview that event uh but we have so much to cover even in the last 24 hours since matt and i were last with you covering the wta finals group stages we've had semi-finals of that that Catherine and i'll get on to but we haven't had a chance to properly review paris yet Catherine, and it has been an extraordinary week really you get one week like that that i i came into not necessarily thinking that that much would materialize and yet it feels like we have a couple of seriously big storylines that will now carry on into next year obviously the champion being Olga Runa, that, that is not a scenario I envisaged at the outset, you? It, it, absolutely not, absolutely not. Look, we knew about the talent of Holger Runa, didn't we? Former junior, number one, you know, we've known about his attitude for a long time. I think the first time I watched him play a match was that first round against Djokovic at the US Open last year when, yeah. you know, he was he was threatening for a while, wasn't he? But it had that, it really had that feel of it, of, of someone that comes out pumped up threatens the top player for a set and then fades away and to my memory that that is what ended up happening and that was during the period of Runa's career I mean albeit as an 18 year old but he had a reputation for cramping didn't he for being physically not there for the course well I, I know we've only been watching him play best of three set tennis for the last few weeks so there is still a caveat here 
I I'm not sure I've ever revised my opinion of of a player so quickly and so drastically as I have of Holger Rune over the course of the last week. Maybe a little bit more than a week. The the run in Basel last week made me maybe sit up and take notice. But I, I what is I it? What is it about him? He is so good. <laughs> That's what it is about him. I mean the the te- the 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 far wiser people than me that I was working with over the weekend said he's technically perfect um I I did not realize he had this kind of power you know you look at him and it doesn't quite make sense where the power comes from because he's quite sort of sinewy he's almost like a sort of you know Federico Correa um, not oh my gosh I've gone for the wrong Correa (laughs) Oh my god! You were going to go for Guillermo, weren't you? You've gone for the brother. Going to go for Guillermo. That's how. That's how young and in, in touch I am. David. Federico's loving that reference, <laughs> isn't he? <laughs> he doesn't get his name snuck in very often, does he? I was thinking Guillermo. I mean, he's six foot two, which I think is pretty much the optimum height for a tennis player. But still, some of the stats that were coming out about his shot speeds, David. I mean, his average second serve speed is 110 miles per hour. His his average backhand speed in the quarterfinal against Felix Auger-Lessin was, what, 30 kilometres per hour faster than yeah, Felix? Then, that stat is bananas. Yeah, I've, I've never heard anything quite like that before on the backhand side. I don't think of anybody, you know, unless you're comparing somebody with a really dodgy backhand to somebody who's got Marit Safin's backhand. And uh, and it did almost make you think, well, is is that right? Have we have they got that right? But I mean, these were tennis TV stats that were being flashed up on the screen and nobody's querying them. Nobody's walking that back at all. And everybody is simultaneously talking about, as you say, the technically perfect production of that backhand and the, and the damage that he seems to do. And then you look at the players he's played against over the course of the week obviously culminating with Novak Djokovic and realising that he's actually got the better of these players, these great players of the current era on that particular side. I mean, obviously, overall, he's he's won the whole thing. But, I mean, he's beaten Stan Wawrinka in the first round. Who's got a better backhand over the years than Stan Wawrinka? He's beaten Hubert Hurkacz, who's often talked about as having a great backhand. OK, Andre Rublev is regarded as more forehand-heavy player, but Carlos Alcaraz, Felix Auger-Aliassime, and then Novak Djokovic. That, that is a run that, even though you know it, when you read those names out again, it still takes you aback, doesn't it? Because that, that has never happened before. No, no one's ever beaten five top ten players in a row before and throws Stan Rinker into the mix as well, a, a three-time Grand Slam champion. Um against whom he had to save three match points, I might add. And, and it, get a ticking off at the end And publicly. be called a, a, ba- a baby publicly, um, which, by, you know... By Stan. Which, by you Stan. know, that, that might have made a lot of players go into their shell a little bit and be embarrassed. Maybe it helped. Maybe it helped because uh, I didn't watch every minute of every match, but I watched a lot of him this week in... He was more grown up than he was against Stan Wawrinka and, and the, than he was uh, in a couple of matches I saw him play in Basel last week. I mean, this is, I feel like I've watched him get significantly better over the course of two weeks. He is a quick learner. He is, 
he's he's got that urgency that Carlos Alcaraz has of I, I don't want to wait till I'm 21 or 22 and do things in you know the appropriate time. I want it all now, and maybe that will have a, a sting in its tail over the course of the next few weeks. You know, there there can be a, a downside to that kind of um, desperate urgency, but but right now, my goodness me, that that. I will remember that run for for a long time. I I can't believe how good Holger Rune is. I'm really taken aback. He's seriously good. Mm. Do you know the first time I ever thought, "Wow, he's so much better than I thought," was when he beat Zverev for the loss of about six games in Munich on clay. And I thought, "Crikey, that that takes a bit of chutzpah, doesn't it, to to come out." into this guy you know to a he's pretty... walking chutzpah david <laughs> yes he is and he's doing it against a guy who's six foot six and who kind of walks around like he owns the place himself in zverev is playing in his backyard and he goes and frankly humiliated him that day with with power meeting power he overpowered him and he just demoralized him with drop shots it was it was an extraordinary performance but i i kind of put it down to maybe zverev being a bit off and Runa playing out of his mind because you get you can get a day can't you when you if you're a really good player you can get a day when you just destroy somebody and and it might not mean that much so and then since then honestly a lot of what I've thought about Holger Runa is brat frankly and behavior that irritates me so uh, that has tended to overwhelm everything else but now his tennis has become unavoidable in terms of how you think about him. He he now is more than the guy who has some very uh, questionable histrionics on the court. Now, look, he is 19, so I think I think I have to bear that in mind. I'd also go back further and remember some some pretty awful things he said on court. I think last year, um, homophobic slurs, you know, directed at himself, which. I hope, and he says he's learnt from and he won't do again. I hope that that's the case. But this last two or three weeks, regardless of what Stan Varinka said to him in his ear, which was pretty menacing the way he did it, he has just played a level of tennis, I agree with you, that that is as exciting as anybody this year bar Carlos Alcaraz really I would say um, I can't think of anybody else there have been moments when I've seen Yannick Sinner play brilliantly there have been there's been a steady progression of improvement from Felix Um but I haven't seen anybody do this level of arrival on the scene yeah same there's a couple of things here there's there's the tennis which is ir- irresistible I mean he was out backhands down the lining Novak Djokovic in the final yesterday, which it, again is just a just a bonkers thing. I mean, even people that that beat Novak Djokovic, you know, you're not going to get him on the backhand down the line. That's his domain. Uh, and then there's then there's the attitude and the desire. There's the fact that you know he won his semi final first. Um, that was the that was the Felix Auger-Leocene match, wasn't it? The the mm, semi final. Yeah. He he uh, he was first on the schedule that day, so he was in the locker room doing his cool down and everything, uh, waiting for Djokovic to play against Stefanos Tsitsipas in their semi final, awaiting who would play in the final. He wanted it to be Djokovic. 
he wanted the ultimate test. He wanted to have another pop at Novak Djokovic. And I think that is something that distinguishes him. You know, I think a lot of people, a lot of players, very understandably, you know, this is the mindset that I can relate to. We just want the opponent that they're most likely to beat, which, you know, for a bunch of reasons would have been Stefano Tsitsipas, six-time champion or zero-time champion in Paris. What would you prefer? A guy that you've beaten in a slam this year, you'd take Tsitsipas every time. No, he wanted to test himself against the best. And I think that mindset will take him a long, long way. I think it's one he shares with with Carlos Alcaraz. And here we go, David. I'm going to drop the bomb. Ding, ding, ding. Rivalry alert. If those two can <laughs> stay fit, the, the, this is this is serious rivalry domain between yeah. those two because... Oh, it's it's wonderful. It's wonderful seeing players with no baggage against the top guys. There's something really liberating about that, about just watching a tennis match. That's what I was feeling during the final yesterday. I wasn't wasn't worrying that, yeah, well, mental baggage would, would, would play a part and ghosts would start haunting the court. And, you know, Tsitsipas did brilliantly against Djokovic on Saturday. He... I was very impressed with with the way he turned that match around because there was a point after the opening set, there was a point, uh, I think it was in the opening game of the second set, when he'd been so dominated by Djokovic, a guy that's beaten him the last seven times, that the atmosphere in the stadium started to get awkward. And actually, it was the awkwardness that, that Sitsipas used to turn things around. He almost went come on, guys, you've got to help me. You can't just go silent and mutter amongst yourselves about how weird and, and disappointing this is. You've got to help me get back into it. And they did. And suddenly there was a spark there and he and he was so, so close, lost out in a deciding set tie break. So, look, I, I'm impressed by Sitsipas this week. I think this is a really positive week for him. But undeniably, he has baggage. You know, he's he's 24 years old now. He still has time to to come good on his talent and win Grand Slams. He has loads of time, but he's missed that sweet spot, I think, of just everything's new, everything's upside. And he still has the upside, but he also has a little bit of downside there as well. You know, same goes for, for Denis Shapovalov, you know. With Runer, it's, it's all upside at the moment. And that won't be the case forever. Um... It's going to be very interesting seeing him play slams next year, yeah, seeing him try to translate year. this into best of five sets and onto surfaces that aren't indoor hard courts. Mm. I, I didn't get to see that much of the final. I saw the, the last couple of games and I was following it on social media. I was out at my, my kids' tennis uh, yesterday. But obviously you you were there in the studio watching every ball of this. and uh, And I'm just curious as to the the flows the ebbs and flows of the match because Djokovic took charge and was a break up 4-2 wins the first set and I really wasn't really expecting a comeback because I did I I, I took a, a I saw a couple of little points from that first set and Djokovic was doing that stare towards Goran Ivanovic that sort of I am I am here and I am ready for this 
Eye of the Tiger type stare and uh, looked a bit like he did a year ago when he when he won the title and he he, he wins that title a lot. What's he won it eight times, something like that? Six you times, know, yeah. Six this times. Was, he was going for a seventh. Extraordinary record in in Paris and and they've they've kind of embraced him. I think the last couple of times he's played it as well and he's really he really seems into into that event and he was fresh and everything else. I mean, I suppose I do think Sitsipas might have taken something out of his legs that late last night and I think he was stretching out a bit, wasn't he? But but tell me about the comeback. Tell me about the the ebbs and flows of this match because even in the third set, Djokovic is leading by a break and yet he didn't win. Yeah, well, it had a slightly similar feel about it to that Sitsipas match in that it was quite a one-sided first set, perhaps not quite as much as the the Sitsipas semi-final, but it was dominant from Djokovic. And as you say, he looked, he had that just defiant look about him of don't don't any of you get any ideas in your head. There, there's only one outcome here, and Djokovic doesn't really lose matches. When he's when he's got that face on, does he? I mean, maybe to Rafael Nadal or the absolute best of the best, he doesn't lose to nineteen-year-old upstarts. Um, and Runa, he hadn't he hadn't come out playing the level. I think he was nervous. I think he'd probably never admit to it, but I think he was nervous. He double faulted twice in the game to to give his serve away, and that was one of those sort of. Oh, moments where again things got a bit awkward in the crowd who were desperately hoping for a for a contest and uh, maybe he was inspired by the uh, the Djokovic Sitsipas semi-final he'd seen the day before but there was a moment I think in in the first or second game of the second set where he he won a point the crowd appreciated it and he sort of said yeah come on more give me more help me get back into this and that felt that felt like a turning point. He quickly he quickly raced out to uh, he he got a break very early on in the second set. Raced out to a lead, managed to hold on to it, and it really felt game on in the third. As you say, it was a breakdown, but it, it, that second set gave him all the belief he needed. I think, and he had to channel all of it in the final game of the match, which I think lasted sixteen minutes. David. Wow. Um, Runa is serving for it, having broken in the previous game. And uh, it's, he can't get to match point. It's just break point Djokovic juice, break point Djokovic juice. And every time you think this is the one. And of course, at that point, you're thinking if he does break here, you go into a deciding set tie break. And that is Djokovic's domain. How can anybody possibly overcome the disappointment of serving for the match and then try and overcome the great tie-break player, sorry, laver-breaker player uh, that is Novak Djokovic. Um, 16 minutes. And there were so many points in that 16 minutes that I thought, ah, this is over. This is one he's going to have to chalk up to to experience. You know, this is the the hard loss that all you, you hope will make him better in the long run. And he just wasn't having that be the storyline. He's got that magic ingredient of playing better when the pressure's on. Wow. Which you can't teach. Alcaraz has it too. I mean, Djokovic has it, obviously, um, in a slightly more understated way. But you can't teach that. He always seems to pick the right shot, which, again, I don't think was the case even a few months ago. 
Um, his progression has been startling. Um, yeah, absolutely startling. It's a shame. It's a shame that it's coming at this point in the season. You know, you mm. want to see him carrying it on and try and take it into a Grand Slam. Imagine if we were two weeks away from a Grand Slam. Yeah. It would be like, you know, going how we were going into the French Open with with Alcaraz sort of impossibly being the favourite. Yes. Um, which is a shame, but, you know, I think we'll get a hint of it in, in Australia. Well, we can certainly hype it up to the hills because that's what we do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, look, Catherine, I thought you did an exceptional job of putting your pundits on the spot uh, over the last few days, and now I get to do it to you. Um, because Holger Runa, right now, in your mind... We have recency bias to consider. We have the variables of indoor courts and the differences to that with Grand Slams. But right now, what is Holger Rune in the future in your mind? A, a Grand Slam champion, for sure. That. How soon? I think he could win one next year. But with That's could. That is not a prediction. Oh, there's time for that. Because, <laughs> but I think he could, as I say, it's the sweet spot. It, he's in the sweet spot of not having any baggage. It almost feels to me like he's more likely to win one next year than he is in the two years after that. Oh, that's an interesting do, line. Do you see what I mean? Like, you, yes. you don't want to, you know, Sitsapas is in a, in a slightly awkward spot right now. It's almost like he's he's missed the youth window and he now has to wait out for the experience window. Oh, that's great. And, and, there was a, there was and right now he's in this sort of weird, he's, you know, I'm really conscious that, you know, he's 24. I know he's still really young, but he's missed peak youth window, but he's not entered peak experience window. And he's kind of got the worst of, he's worst playing of all both the time. ends of it. Yeah, and he's playing too much. <laughs> There's other factors at play with him as well. Because he um, desperately wants it so much. Do, do, you, know, actually, do you see what I mean, though? Yeah, I, I feel like, look, you know, like Alcaraz did this year. He sees And Felix said something, you moment. know. When Felix Ogeliasim reached the semi-finals of this tournament, I think, it, I think I'm right in saying that's the first Masters 1000 semi-final he's reached since the one he won as a breakout star when he was 19. Yes, yeah. Um, in Miami, I think, yes. or Indian West, Miami, I think. Didn't anyway. win the title, did he? No, but he got no, to the semis, yes, and yeah. he got to the semis here, and he was asked about that, and he said, honestly, when I when I reached that semi-final, I thought, oh, this sort of stuff will just happen mm. all the time. And here I am three years later, and it's happened again now. And you could see how much it meant to him and how proud he was of kind of overcoming some of the hurdles that he's faced over the last couple of years and obviously he's had that horrible finals record which he's put to bed this year and he's done so he's done really well but it's been very much a building blocks process since that breakout Runa as you say he's in the breakout moment right now so let's see what happens with the the difficult second season kind of thing um but I am going to just give you a couple of facts to try and talk you out of your your excitement um because is one of them the words Karen Hashinov? He's on my list. Yeah, he's on my list. <laughs> Where's Paris Matt when you need him? We can't talk about <laughs> Hashinov in Paris 2018 without dragging Matt down with us. Those well, are the listen, rules. The, the, the players he beat, Hashinov, 
were, well, four of them were top ten players. He didn't beat five, but he beat four. John Isner, Alexander Zverev, Dominic Team, and Novak Djokovic. And I, I haven't gone back to listen to what was the first ever proper appearance of Matt Roberts on the tennis podcast, which was the, the, the show that followed that win. But I'm pretty sure we would have been hyping Karen Hatchinoff. Oh, we were hyping <laughs> To the hilt, particularly Matt, which we'll never let him forget. Uh, the only thing he's ever got wrong on this, the only unforced error from Matt Roberts, um, apart from last night's when he got uh, Maria Sachary to be, be Caroline, Caroline Garcia wrong. Uh, but the other one is, go back to 2015, Belinda Bencic beat Eugenie Bouchard, Caroline Wozniacki, Sabina Lizicki, Anna Ivanovic, Serena Williams and Simona Halep. Four of the world's top five in that group to win Toronto, aged 18. 2015. Now, I'm not saying... I mean, look, Bencic has had a good career since. She's won Olympic gold. She hasn't reached a Grand Slam singles final. Seven years have passed. Now, there's a parallel there, I think, which I'm not... I think I think Runa is an extraordinary talent, and he's got way more firepower than I expected. A little bit like you were saying, I thought I thought he had touch, and I thought he had just general skill. But I think there is there are big question marks still over how his game and his temperament, given the behavioural issues we've seen, will adapt to best of five outdoors expectation now, which wasn't there four or five days ago. I completely agree. I think those are important cautionary tales. And uh, I'm not yet predicting Runa to win a Grand Slam next year. I I think there is there are all those things to be proven, as you said, David. Expectation, best of five, completely different kettles of fish. But I do think a very significant distinction between those two players you mentioned, and I realise this is with the benefit of hindsight because perhaps we didn't know this about Bencic and Hashinov at the time. Fangs. I don't think either of those two have fangs. We didn't know Mary Carrillo back then, <laughs> so we, <laughs> we didn't, didn't have that term of reference. Oh, the dark ages. <laughs> um, but I don't think they do. I, I really don't think they fangs is what's what's held them both back i also don't think hashinov is as good a tennis player as 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 runa no but but part of that is that he hasn't really developed his game since 2018 and you know i think fangs play a part in that i think i think runa will do literally anything maybe go too far in trying to leave no stone unturned he's got that andy murray-esque thing about him of i will i, I I will tie myself in knots to achieve my potential that I I just don't think Karen Hashinov has and I don't think Belinda Bencic has you know g- good good luck to them they only have to look themselves in the mirror it's not necessarily a criticism um but Runa unquestionably has it and there are still those points to prove David I think those are extremely valid um, question marks that still hover over him, but I I see the Fang distinction as very significant. He mm. is nothing but Fangs, that guy. Yeah. What to, do you think? So sometimes to 
the de detriment of the spectacle. It was quite interesting that when you were you put that point to your pundits in the studio, Gregor Zelensky and Robbie Koenig, about when when Vavrinka had a word in his ear, and they were quite protective of Runa and said, you know, he shouldn't have Stan shouldn't have done that on court when he just lost, and it, and it, that it was they felt he was it, it was out of order, which I found quite interesting. Um, you know, from a sort of players and ex-players perspective. Maybe um, he was afraid of doing it in the locker room because uh, he'd heard about Gaspar Reed's locker room <laughs> running. Yeah, and I, I, I do, I, I sort of see both sides of it. I mean, I, Runa winds me up, i got to be honest, watching him mm. play. I, I, I watch him and I think, oh, just shut up, you silly little He's idiot. He's so childish. He can, yeah. Well, he can be so childish, can't he? But then I also think he is 19 and 19-year-olds can be silly and uh, impetuous and they get upset and they, you know, all the rest of it. So I don't want to completely judge him to the end on on how irritating I sometimes find him. Um, but, you know, we'll watch with interest because he is a hell of a player way beyond what I expected. And, and that, look, I, I think we're going to see some some. We're going to have a lot of fun watching him, both in terms of being irritated and angry at him and also marvelling at him. And I think those two things are good, just good news for the sport generally because they get people watching, whether they get angry or not. Mm. He's, uh, he's into the world's top 10. He's currently first alternate for Turin. Um, that, of course, because of the fact that Carlos Alcaraz has very disappointingly pulled out of Turin with that uh, mm. oblique muscle strain that he sustained in the match against Runa. Um, he's supposed to play the next-gen finals in Milan starting tomorrow, David. I would be surprised yeah. if he goes there. I, I mean, I, until until the last couple of rounds, I would have wanted him to play. And I, I still do kind of want him to play, really, but it does feel like he's now graduated just ahead of that. And uh, so I do understand if he doesn't. Um, j just a word, Catherine, finally, uh, to, to wrap this tournament up, on Djokovic. Any concerns about what what happened yesterday? And one little theory I just want to put to you. You know, Matt, Matt's come up with that expression, pack hunters, that these big three, if you beat one of them, the problem is you've got to then go and beat the other two. Is a mini pack of cubs now starting to encircle Ooh. Novak Djokovic and whereby you know he had to expend more energy from the canister against Stefanos Tsitsipas than he would have expected and the way it was going and then suddenly he has to play Runa who's not scared of him and and he hasn't even had to play Alcaraz you know and there's Yannick Sinner who's pushed him to five at Wimbledon there's 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 Casper Ruud who on on a clay court could be difficult particularly. Now I just wonder whether he might have to start playing more players. And we haven't even mentioned Rafael Nadal still around. You know that 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 it might get harder in the next couple of years than perhaps we thought for for Novak Djokovic. I th I think that's a very good point. You know the visual the visual that I had of him. Um, throughout the latter stages of Paris. You know, I started doing studio from quarterfinals day on Friday um, and I, I looked through the order of play and I was just trying to think of, you know, lines that I could use. He's 35. 
the other seven players in that quarterfinal lineup were 24 or younger. They were all under the age of 25. He was he had 10 years on the on the next oldest. Sorry, tw- 25, because it was Tommy Paul, wasn't it? And he's 25, sits past 24. So he had 10 years on the next oldest, which was Tommy Paul. And I did, I just had this visual in my mind of him on this, him on an island with sharks encircling, you know, and I think that's pretty much what you've just described. And I think he's he's good enough to beat them all still. You know, I'd still back him in best of five over Holger Runa for sure. Mm. Um, but the pack hunter's point is a really interesting one. Um, and I think you could be onto something there, actually. I, I, I do. Um, there's more of them than I thought there, there were going to be. We've been talking about Alcaraz as this complete marvel, you know, this once in a generation talent that's just that much better than everybody else, you know, totally changes your perception of the sport and all of that is true well it yes it is true but i don't know he's he's got this record against yannick sinner who who you know beats him more often than not so far in their career holger runa looks as fast as carlos alcaraz which is a ridiculous thing to be saying isn't it um I keep hearing about this 16-year-old Spanish kid that won US Open Juniors that's the real deal. Luca Nardi. I, I've forgotten his name already. <laughs> I'm um, looking him up after this. <laughs> and my brother keeps talking about Luca Nardi. You know, lots to be proven about yeah. all of them, but there's more of them than we thought there were going to be, I think, David. And okay. I think you could be onto something there. Oh, I'm mm. excited. This is very good. Okay. Uh, well, the doubles as well in Paris uh, saw a, a really notable story as well because Niels Skupski and Wesley Kulhoff won the title. They beat Ivan Dodig and Austin Krajicek 7-6-6-4. And in so doing, guaranteed that they will be the world number one team at the end of the year. Three Masters 1000 titles, seven in total. Didn't win any slams, but they are number one team for the year. Skupski of Great Britain and Wesley Kulhoff. And that for a a new pairing, a brand new pairing this year. I, I'm sure that's happened before, Catherine. I'm sure it has. But that just does make me think, wow, what an, what an achievement to just find the chemistry that quickly against so many other, so many good teams out there and to end up being the number one team. Yeah, and I watched that uh, final that they played yesterday against uh, Ivan Dodig and Austin Krajicek, who... Um, had qualified for Turin in their via their semi-final win. Um, that was when the the field was was set for Turin when they beat Kevin Kravitz and Andreas Mies in the semis. Um, and Skubski and Kulhoff were just j- just brimming with confidence. You know, you look up confidence in the dictionary and you've just seen a picture of Wesley Kulhoff. I think <laughs> just swaggering around the court. He's the individual world number one today. Uh, becomes the fourth Dutchman, I think, to to achieve that feat in doubles. Um, yeah, that just life seems great for them at the moment. I would quite happily be Neil Skubski or Wesley Kulhoff for a moment there. They're by far and away the team to beat in Turin. Seven titles this year. Now, uh, not winning a slam is a big miss 
for them to have a season that good and not win a slam will hurt, I think. But winning winning the finals, that would be the biggest tournament they've won so far as a team and it would put them in good shape for, uh, for Australia. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Now, overnight, the WTA Finals deciding match was uh, set up. And it's it's a bit of a shock, to be honest. I mean, I think even if you looked at on paper for both sides of of the semifinals, I think you would probably have expected it to be Sakari against uh, Sviantek. But the actual the loss of Sviantek is a massive shock, isn't it, to Arena Sabalenka? Well, you say that, David, but who did you pick for the title at the start of the week? <laughs> well, I've gone for Caroline Garcia. And who did I pick for the title at the start? Oh, of the did week? you go for Sabalenka? I did. Oh well, oh well. Look at us, aren't we good? <laughs> Don't know who Matt went for. <laughs> well, we, I think we all watched uh, the the Garcia Sakari match yesterday. It fitted nicely into our uh, uh, awake time, um, but it was a totally damp squib. I mean, we we covered off the WTA Finals week as a whole, Matt and I yesterday, and we were buzzing about the Kasatkina Garcia match the, oh, the night before so that. Good. And you you were on the WhatsApp group with us, and we were just loving it, weren't we? But last night just never took off. I mean, I don't know who to put that down to most. It was six three six two for Garcia, who was just finding the lines and hitting winners with everything. And Zachary just 
couldn't handle it. Yeah, she couldn't get near her serve, could she? And she felt vulnerable on pretty much all of her own service games, did Zachary. First time in seven years that a player's gone undefeated in the group stages and not then reached the final. Oh, really? um, which, of course, is the case for both Shontek and Zachary. Yeah. Um, so it, it is fairly unusual um, that that happens. And I, do, I, I think Zachary has a mental problem. You know, it didn't surprise me that much. I think we touched upon it, didn't we, when she sealed her qualification um, for Fort Worth in Guadalajara. She played that straight shootout, didn't she, with uh, Veronica Kudamatova. And I thought, hmm, the fact that she's just scraped in, the fact that she's the lowest seed, suddenly she's the underdog at that tournament. I did think that would change things for her. And lo and behold, in the group stages, where she's the underdog going into every match, she's brilliant. But then she qualifies for the semi-finals, unbeaten. And the mental dynamic changes. And look, anyone can lose to Caroline Garcia, but it wasn't close at all. Um, I was disappointed that she wasn't able to make it a bit it closer. And I I don't think anything about this week as good as, as well as she's played uh, in some of those matches really changes my feeling of, of where Maria Sakkari is at in her career. Unfortunately, I still have I still have serious question marks whilst knowing that she can play brilliant tennis. And I, she's such... She's such a nice person, such a compelling person. I sort of, I love her frailties on the court because they make her compelling and, um, and she's make so her relatable and she's so open and it's, you know, it's brilliant, but it's not going to help her win a Grand Slam. <laughs> Being relatable no. to me is not her goal. No. Uh, winning slams is, and I I still have major, major question marks. Mm. And the the flip side to that is Arena Sabalenka because she has issues with her game. There are vulnerabilities about her game, but she is as accepting of them as anybody in the sport right now, which is really interesting because I, ne- I, do- I didn't think that two years ago, before this year, she's the last person I would have thought of as somebody who would accept anything short of perfection and winning, blazing winners. But the the way she's dealt with the double faults issue over the course of the year, that was encapsulated in this one single match against Igor Sviantek, who who just couldn't handle the chaos. She she <laughs> she came out and I mean look, I don't think she was playing as well, but Sabalenka just just, just went for it. I think in the first three games, Sabalenka hit five double faults. And yet she won the first set six two, you know, and and Sviantek started hitting double faults as well, and then at the end of the the first set, so Sviantek went off the court for a long time. I mean, mm. she took the absolute maximum time she could and came out like a different player, and her footwork was faster. She was playing more like she did against Garcia, reacting incredibly quickly to to the big shots coming away. And I used the word counterattack yesterday, but actually the best word is it's it's kind of retaliation, the way she counters an opponent's power. Um, and she went up four love in about 10 minutes in the second set, classic Sviantek. And then a very, very interesting game in the fifth game of the second set, Sabalenka's 30-40 down. 
and she smiles at the sheer brilliance of her opponent. She's love four, 30, 40, and she smiles because she's just getting the floor wiped with her, with her by, the, by her opponent. And then she hits an ace, gets out of that game, gets the next game uh, somehow, despite being love 40 down, she sort of and she just made every game scrappy and chaotic and uncomfortable and you didn't know what was coming next and you got the sense she was sort of thriving off it because this is what happens every week with her yes she's won all of her big matches from a set down you know she she doesn't win matches in straight sets and Shrantek just combusted honestly and in the final set she went off off the rails completely Sabalenka just started to hit the front and swing for everything and I think Laura Robson in commentary said you know you don't go toe-to-toe with Sabalenka when she's when she's hitting the ball like this nobody would come out on top and it was it was just fascinating to find a player that Svantec finally couldn't tame unless she sort of was absolutely on a game and, and changing things a little bit really interesting I really want to know if Arena Sabalenka is been seeing a sports psychologist um or maybe even just a therapist you know she's got this self-acceptance which is it's like the magic ingredient for her isn't it it's really fascinating because I, I i used to think of her as a kind of just all or nothing player and she's you know her her game I suppose on paper is still that in terms of it's you know it's brute force and there's no plan b but mentally it's not all or nothing anymore um it's really really fascinating how she is able to go this is this is me I am (laughs) I'm gonna make tennis look a bit horrible sometimes but but that's okay Petra Kvitova has had a bit of that about her hasn't she over the course of her career this is my game Accepting it, I'm. Yeah. Look at that. Look, I've just hit the back fence. Isn't that that was hilarious? <laughs> yeah. Did you see that? I almost yeah. took your head off. <laughs> yeah, but also knowing next time I do it, it'll go in and that'll be great. Yeah. Um, there's a bit of that about her, but Kvitova's kind of always had that about her game, whereas Sabalenka didn't. You know, she used to be tortured. Yes. Tortured on the court at times, but now she's got this. I don't. It, as it's almost this wry sort of whether it's laughing at herself or a different perspective um and maybe the 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 double fault issue helped her get to that place because it became so significant and sort of took everything over mate you know when you're when you're double faulting to that extent you know looking back to australia of this year maybe you just have to laugh I Remember mean, when she did an underarm serve yeah. just because she couldn't get she any couldn't other in? She couldn't get it in. Yeah, maybe that is, Which is the what point I tell where my go... kids to do. <laughs> is it? <laughs> do an underarm now. Go on. It's all right. You troll. You're allowed. <laughs> yeah, she's psychologically fascinating, um, and I'm very interested in this uh, this final with Caroline Garcia, not least because it's Catherine v David. Oh yeah. I know. I, I could do with the points big time, and I, I, we could do that. We, we we're like a, a team in relegation trouble and a team in the promotion battle, aren't we? And we both need the points for differing reasons. Mm, yes. Need, neither one of us a mid-table obscurity, uh, like Essen. <laughs> anyway, uh, so 
what else uh, have we got in the... I tell you what, we better just pick a winner. I, I mean, are you still confident that Sabalenka will win based on what you've Not seen Not confident, so but I'm going to stick with her. I, mm. I picked her from the start and I can't drop her now that she's gone and beat Niga Svantec, can I? No. It's a compelling prospect. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll still go with Garcia, but... I'm looking forward to it. I hope it's uh, I hope it's close. And and maybe the more important question is regardless who if he wins, will that player and maybe it applies to both of them having reached the final, but will they be able to carry this through to next season and make this form relevant next year and in particular at the Australian Open? Mm. You've still got the the memories, haven't you, of the the Garbini Muguruza run last year in your mind. And yeah, it's just, and uh, Contivate and Caroline Garcia before that. What, in 2018, was it? She went on that end-of-year charge. There are countless yeah. examples. Yeah. Sybil Kova, Svitolina. No, that's that's right. not an answer to my question, David. <laughs> What's, if if Caroline Garcia wins tomorrow... What will it mean for next year for you? I can't see it necessarily meaning anything because of the. I just I remember that indoor run so vividly from a from back then in 2018, and then she she lost I think third round or something like that in Australia to Madison Keys. I remember it so clearly because I was watching all the matches, fascinated to see what what would happen. Whether it does mean anything, you know, and um, and it turned out not to. But then I think. Something that was being discussed yesterday is just how how it simplified her approach to the sport. The fact that she just stands in the, inside the baseline, she smacks the ball as hard as she can, and she tries to get into the net. So it just makes it very clear in her mind. Um, and 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 maybe that's and she, I don't think that's what she was doing five years ago. So. I think um, I think maybe yeah you know what I think she will carry it into Australia whether it will lead to a title run is another matter but I think she she's going to be deep into the second week again I think she's going to be a contender in Australia. You went on a real journey over the course of that answer, David. <laughs> I did. Well, I wasn't thinking about it until you put it to me. Arena Sabalenka, I'm less convinced by. I I I don't think it's possible to predict anything for Arena Sabalenka. No. With any Same. Don't make me. <laughs> uh, doubles final is going to be between the two teams that we were predicting yesterday would be in it, which is Barbara Krachikova and Katarina Siniakova and Veronika Kudamatova and Elisa Mertens, who who lost just two games against Kravjik and Demi Scher. 6-1, 6-1 was their win. So uh, that that's a high-quality final in prospect because those, you know, they always felt like the two best teams. Mm. Um and they still seem to have plenty left in the tank. Um, a few news lines from over the course of the week, um, which we'll just bring you up to date on. The BBC reports that Nick Kyrgios has settled a legal case with a spectator. He had accused of being drunk out of her mind during the Wimbledon final. Anna Pallas instructed in solicitors to bring defamation proceedings against the 27-year-old Australian Um he was in the Wimbledon final against Novak Djokovic and he complained to uh, to the umpire about a fan saying she looked like she'd had about 700 drinks. Uh, Pallas um, said that those were reckless and entirely baseless allegations and brought a, a suit against him. And he has now settled that case 
um, saying that he accepts his belief was mistaken, he apologises, and to make amends, he's donated £20,000 to the Great Ormond Street Hospital Charity, uh, a charity chosen by uh, Miss Pallas, and says, I will not be commenting on this matter again. I mean, you know, look, the, the specifics of the case not going to get into but it's an extraordinary turn of events and sets a precedent I can't remember another precedent like this I can't remember a situation where a player has said something on the court and ended up in in court or okay he ended up not having to go to court because he settled but to to end up in a situation like this I just cannot remember this ever happening before extraordinary it it is extraordinary I mean this is this is a a total tangent and a probably meant for an entirely different podcast but the things you can get away with saying on twitter and social media with no consequences at all and the bar for that is probably going to raise even higher with the the new ownership at twitter um and compared to what you can say in real life um that's what it made me think about you know mm. i could probably tweet tagging her saying you're drunk out of your mind and there'd be nothing wouldn't there i'm not that's that's that i you know i think that's a problem how we massive problem how we treat um speech on twitter but anyway that's what it made me think about it's yeah. um it's a wild wild world out there yeah. Uh, it sure is. Um, and actually, I, I just went down the Telegraph sports news or tennis news headlines. And, and here are a couple from Simon Briggs over the course of the last week. Inside the row tearing Great Britain's team apart, which uh, references uh, the Dan Evans comments about mm. uh, about doubles, which uh, we've had a good old debate about, haven't we, over the last week? Because it is such an interesting talking point over whether a singles player... Um, who plays very good doubles should have precedent preference in team selection over a, a couple of really really high doubles players. We've seen Neil Skupski be, being the number one doubles team, but he's not a doubles team with Joe Salisbury, who's also one of the best doubles players in the world. And then you've got Andy Murray. It was a fascinating team selection dilemma at the time, and you were always confident in your mind that you'd have gone for Evans. Because of the team, the team's element, not necessarily because a good singles player is always better at doubles than a good doubles player. It, it's far more nuanced, nuanced for me than that. He's a Dan Evans is a great singles player and a great doubles player who'd spent a season playing with Neil Skubsky. That for me was the the critical element. Britain has loads of great male doubles players none of them can play together there's a reason they're all with foreign partners I mean it would be it would be beneficial to them if they could play together you know sponsorship why you know they, they will have they would have agents telling them that they would be far more saleable and promotable if they were an all British team but you know success has to come before that there's a reason why they're not playing together I think you've got Dan Evans brilliant singles player and a proven great doubles player with Neil Skubsky. You've got you've got the team there ready to go. That for me is is the critical decisive factor. I know Salisbury and Murray played together at the Olympics. They got that win over Herbert Mau, but that's a lot less proof. That's a lot 
less to go on and I I I can't help but feel that Andy Murray was a a Glasgow influenced pick which I get you know as Dan Evans said at the US Open when he was being asked about who would be selected for that Davis Cup tie he very pointedly said it would be a strong man not to pick Andy Murray in Glasgow I would say that it's also a strong person not to pick the guy who not single-handedly won Davis Cup in 2015, but was obviously the the main factor in it and is you know the greatest British tennis player there has probably ever been. And uh, and look, at some points you become not past yourself by date, but you certainly don't become first choice anymore because of age and everybody else and metal hip and goodness knows what else and new breed coming along. I think I would probably have ended up going for what Leon Smith went for. Um, as it turns out, that didn't work. Um, but it does make it very interesting for the future, doesn't it, as well? Um, it's you know. the first time Leon Smith's really been under any pressure. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and he uh, is. He is, definitely. And, and Dan Evans is piling on that pressure. It's the sort of pressure he wants, pressure. because yeah, he's got absolutely. choices, but he's he's now got to get results with this team, hasn't he, next year? Because Jack Draper comes into the reckoning as a singles player. And uh, really, I mean, you know, a team of that, strength at home should be in the finals yeah the team's picked itself for a long time and I'm not saying Leon Smith hasn't had a job to do but for a long time a big part of that job was making sure Andy Murray played you know that that wasn't a given and team spirit team spirit he was able to do all of that and that counted for a lot without it GB probably wouldn't have won the Davis Cup but Mm. the landscape is very different now yeah just on, just on Andy Murray, another one of the headlines was, I am not training hard enough, which was obviously in the immediate aftermath of a, of a disappointing defeat for Andy Murray. But of all the things that I would have expected mm. Andy Murray to put it put defeat down to, that would have been low down. Yeah, it's like a headline from The Onion, isn't it? Um, really bizarre. Really bizarre. He He's mm. committed to a, a three-week one of his punishing three-week Florida training blocks with Ivan Lendl. So good luck to him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Rather him than me. Um, final um, bit of news, which is off the back of some deeply disturbing phone video footage which emerged on social media earlier this week of a, a, of a young female tennis player being punched and kicked on the court by a man who was reported to be a father. Yelena Dokic posted an incredibly heartfelt message on her Insta- Instagram account about it. And Dokic, who has openly talked about the abuse she suffered, uh, she said she suffered at the hands of her father. This is what she posted. I mean, it's a long post, and I do recommend you go and have a look at it because I think it it shines such a light on things that we don't get to see. She said, it's a normal day what that young girl was experiencing for a lot of us that have been or are abused especially as children hitting ear pulling spitting in our faces throwing us on the ground punching and kicking us just another day for us imagine what happens behind closed doors it's even worse and she just really wanted the media us people like us um, and the tennis world in general to talk about this and to shine a light on it and to not just move on and just talk about tennis results. Now, you know, you had Pam Shriver on last week and talking about 
safeguarding positions at federations and all those sort of things. And I, I know a lot of work is being done in this regard. And it, and all I would say is, I think that that video should be rewatched on a regular basis by all of these authorities, so that they they never become complacent, that they that they don't accept that they are doing enough, that anybody is doing enough, because well, any anybody watching that would be horrified. Um, and uh, yeah, my heart goes out to her auntie Elena Dockett, just generally, who, who I think is the most incredibly strong and brave person and uh um yeah i'm glad she posted what she did mm. now we have another podcast to bring you later today it's going to be the billy jean king cup finals preview by gamebridge which uh the tournament starts tomorrow matt is in glasgow he'll be attending all those press conferences today it's going to, it's going to be fascinating isn't it catherine to see this event all in one place like this with with fans you know matt was in prague last year he did a fantastic reporting job but this is going to be such a different sort of occasion you would expect with a full crowd and loads of teams in town yeah absolutely um i think it's think it's going to be good atmos i am particularly intrigued to see the us team goff pagula singles and doubles their record at the wta finals shocked me I didn't see that coming. Mm. Um, and I wonder if the fact that, you know, they had this, the Billie Jean King Cup looming in the back of their mind, knowing knowing how gruelling these couple of weeks were going to be was a factor. I don't know. Uh, we'll have more answers after we, we see them play, assuming they are picked to play for the US. It's um, it's not it's not something I expected to be saying going no. in. No, me either. Fascinating week in prospect. We will have daily editions of the Tennis Podcast for you throughout the Billie Jean King Cup Finals. The same at the Davis Cup Finals in a, a few weeks' time as well. Matt will be there as well for us. Um, and we've also got the ATP Finals coming up soon. Catherine's going to be in Turin for Amazon Prime Video um, presenting their coverage. So we'll have lots of chats with Catherine uh, during the course of that event too. We'll finish on the lovely Schroeder, Catherine, our mascot for this episode. Uh, Schroeder, who I know you're looking at a picture of right now because I can see by the look in your eye, <laughs> is owned by Jacob Carabell. Uh, Schroeder's a nine-year-old Jack Russell Terrier mix who uh, Jacob adopted through a Washington, D.C.-based rescue organization. Schroeder's interests, Catherine, include completing agility courses, chasing tennis balls at our local dog park, uh, and more than occasionally destroying our possessions when a delivery truck is parked on our street. Yes. Uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't think that of Schroeder, would you, looking at him? Well, except that those are very Jack Russell-y um, <clears throat> tendencies you've just described there, and he really does look a very Jack Russell. He's got those soulful eyes, the very alert ears. Um, he's got a <clears throat> little grey muzzle. He's adorable. He is full of personality i can tell i'm staring into his soul right now <laughs> marvelous uh, well schroeder will be in our newsletter this week sign up for that if you don't already receive it the link to it is in our show notes um and we will be open for business again with pet, pet mascots for 2023 on december the 8th when we have our anniversary of launching Friends of the Tennis podcast and we'll be opening about eight or nine different categories if you want to get involved with the show. 
you get access to all of our bonus podcasts that all friends do uh, we've produced more than 25 of those already this year and you know it's just the way to support us to keep on going we've already booked our trips to australia we can't wait uh, that's a couple of months away almost literally can't wait the weather no. in london today is bleak it is rubbish um i have my own personal mascot darwin catherine has carter matt has the dearly departed gerald billy jean the dog is sponsored by billy jean king and alana Kloss. chris albert lee and carl weingartner are our executive producers and top blokes and we don't have matt to help us with shout outs but he sent them to me anyway yeah. and we have catherine paul sullivan from sydney in australia oh wetting our appetite for australia uh paul are you going to check out any of the united cup that's my question for you yeah well he's got the chance to hasn't it because it's one of the destinations that it's yeah, going to there's three they'll have the finals there um it's a it's a very it's a tennessee name isn't it paul you've got tommy paul you have who have we got any first paul name me well done catherine mm. My mind had gone blank. What about Tom? Have you got any Toms? Uh, originally from Sheffield, but now in Mitcham. Tom Ocker. Mitcham is, Mitch- Mitcham is uh, nearish me. Oh, Just, okay, it's, fine. It's very South London. I think it's on. Yeah, I once uh, had to uh, go and get my car from a pound in uh, Mitcham <laughs> after double parking <laughs> in Putney. <laughs> Good work. During the during the 2012 Olympics, it was dark oh dark day. Yes, uh, Tom Ocker and Tom Gullickson. There's another one mm. for you. And uh, Tom from Sheffield, now in Mitcham. Thank you very much for Tom being our e. friend. Tom E. Paul to combine our Tom last e. two very shout outs. Mm. What about Lejeune? Lejeune oh. Austin from Denver in Colorado. How about that? Big fan of that name. Um, very sort of celebrity. Uh, I've got a good yeah. friend from Denver, Colorado. Um, oh, really? And isn't there, I'm going to say, David, confidently, the Denver Broncos? Well done. Yes, who Thank now have um, the traitorous Russell Wilson as mm. their quarterback. I, I say have, traitorous. I have watched the Denver Broncos game with you, haven't I? Yes, against his former team, Seattle Seahawks, who actually threw him out, to be fair. But uh, anyway, I've decided to go that, right that against him. That is not what him. you were saying at the start of the year, but okay. No. Well, see, we're now six and three, and everything's just fine under Geno mm. Smith, so it's no problem at all. One four in a row. Um, we've also got, thank you very much, Lejeune. Uh, we've also got Oman Sloan, uh, who's in Tokyo, uh, which I think of all the cities in the world might be the one I want to visit the most. Right, okay. Um, well, that you can do that. Maybe I can meet up with Flights are available. <laughs> um, Sloan, obviously, very Tennessee name. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much uh, for being a friend of the Tennis Podcast. And finally today we have Peter Fazinski, who's oh. in Vancouver. And Peter has been in touch with me a, a few times, actually. He's, he's got a fascinating tennis story. He, he's worked in tennis for a while doing graphic design work. And oh. he designed the racket for Roger Federer when he switched from his old 90-square-inch no. racket to the larger 97-square-inch racket. I don't think he means the actual, like, tennis elements to it. I think he means the look of it. Uh, and, well, and he it was helped. a good look. And he, he then helped again 
to send it back to its original all black look. That pro wow. stuff original. How cool is that? How, so Peter, um, how long was the design process for an all all black racket? No, no. If I'm sure Peter is great <laughs> at what he does, but I feel like I could have done that. I think he's going to be sending another email. <laughs> I am joking, Peter. Thank you very much for your support and for your excellent design skills. Absolutely. Peter, thanks so much. And thank you to you all. Uh, Catherine, it's been it's been great. We've got through a whole hour with no Matt. Mm. But come back, Matt. Come back. Come back, Matt. Yes, in a few hours for the Billie Jean King Cup finals preview. Uh, and Catherine and I will be back together very soon as well here on the Tennis Podcast. Thanks to you all for listening. If you're not already a friend of the Tennis Podcast, do become one if you want some more shows from us, Q&As, all sorts of things. Um, and yeah, we'll be back again very soon. Bye-bye. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.